Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. There are some movies that every time you see them on TV, you stop and watch a few minutes of them, whether to rekindle fond memories or just because they're damn funny. The subject of today's show, Chevy Chase, has me stopping to watch Clark Griswold and his antics at least a couple times a year. I have to admit, this episode was a tough one for me to write, because as an actor, Chase is fucking hilarious, and the characters he portrays were not only part of my childhood, but also ones I enjoy as an adult. But he wouldn't be on Asshole Court, unless there were some stories and incidents that have led to the inner circles around him portraying him as just that, an asshole. There is one good thing about this episode. It doesn't have anything to do with Chevy Chase being a pedophile. I think that would have absolutely crushed me, and not to mention, it seems like many of the subjects on our show seem to have a penchant for going after minors, so we don't have to go down that road with him. But there are a few stories in this show that may show the reason why there weren't many of his old cast members at his comedy roast, or really that want to work with him again. Has Chevy Chase officially obtained old man get off my lawn status? Is he a sexist, a racist, or a homophobe that stories may tell? We'll dive into this and a whole lot more in the show. So, to somewhat quote a line that Chase made famous on SNL, live from AHC Studios, it's Asshole Court! All right, we had a couple listeners suggest we put Chevy Chase in the courtroom. So big ups to Instagram followers Lindsay Ellen 93 and Camilla Sports Cards for the suggestion. Nicely done. Yeah, and Lindsay Ellen, I know you were born in 1993 for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> As always, if you have a suggestion for the show, hit us up on any of our social media platforms and throw it out there. All right, boys, let's get some pre-show scores for Chevy Chase. Buddy, what you got? All right. So, you know, I, I love Chevy Chase and, you know, I've always loved his humor. Uh, I grew up watching all of the vacations when I was a, a kid at Christmas time. Um, you know, I think it, there's kind of like two camps that you fall into. It's either a Christmas story or Christmas vacation. And there's Dive. only one that's that's the good camp. Yeah. Which is vacation, obviously. Hang on. What about Die Hard? <laughs> We've had this conversation. We're talking about true Christmas movies, not arguably Christmas movies. And Vacation is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. You know, I, growing up, up until my early 20s, um, I loved both of them, but A Christmas Story was the one that I watched over and over at Christmas. But, I mean, for the last 20 years, it's been Vacation, hands down. Kind of tired of A Christmas Story, and uh, but you never get tired of Vacation. Yeah, thanks, TBS. Thanks for airing that shit 24 <laughs> hours a day every Christmas. And yep. thanks, my stepdads, for making me watch that shit every Christmas. Vacation's where it's at. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I love uh, I, I just love Clark W. Griswold. You know, I may be unpopular opinion here. I went back and watched Caddyshack to prep for this show. Yeah. And I haven't seen it in like 20 years. And it just it didn't age well, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. I. Yeah. Go ahead and uh, throw a lot of flame at Buddy, you know, on. Uh, There's the, the door, asshole. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good movie. <laughs> when was the last time you all watched it? It's like a, a year ago. OK, my, it's I, been a while for me. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Like some people like live and die by Caddyshack. I don't think it's well. Chevy Chase is also like a bit player in that movie. Yeah, it right. was more a Rodney Dangerfield right, movie. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I he's somebody that I've always looked up to just from an actor standpoint. Uh, I love you know if he's in it, you've got my money. I'm going to go and watch it. So um, you know, but I have heard the rumors you know, throughout the years. I haven't heard many specific situations, but I've heard enough to where it's you know like I always say, if there's smoke, there's fire. So you know, I I can't score him initially too low. Um, even though it pains me to do so, but I will be on the lower end of the spectrum. I think initially for my pre-show, I'm going to give him a 5.0 and pray that he stays around that area for the end. But uh, I'm sure Randy's going to give us a couple stories to, uh, tonight that will uh, hopefully not change my mind. But that's where I'm at. Pre-show 5.0 on all Chevy right. Chase. 5.0 okay. for Buddy. Mikey, what and you got? I mean, obviously, I think we're all in the same camp here where it, this is a show that we didn't want to do because you just, I mean, dude, I grew, I grew up like watching so many Chevy Chase movies. And the weird thing for me is that there was a period of about 10 years where my dad was aged 45 to 55, where he was a dead ringer for Chevy Chase. It kind of freaks me out. So <laughs> I'm like borderline hating on my dad, who's a pretty cool <laughs> dude. Um, but uh, I, man, I like I said, growing up, man, I remember Three Amigos when that came out, like on the playground when you were doing the Three Amigo, the pat and the hump in the air thing, like, <laughs> oh, man. and getting in trouble from teachers. They're like, what did you just do? You're like, it's Three Amigos, bitch. Yeah. yeah. You ain't seen that shit. And my teacher was <laughs> like, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, Don't do that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's really tough, man. I mean, like I said, there's movies. I can't think of a bad Chevy Chase movie. I've been sitting here thinking, I was like, what is, does he have a bad one? There's a couple Caddyshack. of them. Well, well, but there's levels of badness. <laughs> yeah. You're like, it's just not great. So but I also am going to go uh, with a 5.0 just because I know I've heard all the rumors and stuff like that. You know, he's not a pedophile that we know of yet. Uh, and um, I just, but it sucks that he's obviously a bad person. So I'll go with the 5.0. All right, 5.0 for Mikey. What do you got, Randy? All right, so before I did the research on this show, I had heard, obviously, some of the stories about Chase, but nothing that really stood out that would make me think he's a giant prick. Like I mentioned in the intro read, I absolutely fucking love his movies. His SNL days were a little before my time. Yeah. But the yeah. cast on the show back then, almost all of them turned out to be huge stars in their own right. You oh, know all I mean? of them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he hasn't killed anyone, hasn't touched any kids, doesn't seem to be too much of an outward asshole to everyone. So I'm actually going with a 4.75 okay. pre-show oh, right. score. So slightly, slightly above average asshole, man. Mm -hmm. That's right. All right. With a 5.0 from Mikey, a 5.0 from Buddy, and a 4.75 from Randy, Chevy Chase's pre-show asshole score is a 4.9. All right. 4.9. Right. He is a tick above Ty Cobb. Which is our, weird. Yes, because we Ty Cobb's I, got I, some stories. I thought Ty Cobb was going to be a solid like 9 yeah. or 10, but... Yeah, we're going to have to redo Ty, or at least uh, give an update on him. Nothing's changed. That guy's been dead for years. <laughs> <laughs> Our point of view has, probably, as Maybe we've done so. more shows. Maybe that's so. right. It's awesome. All right, boys, you guys ready to dig in? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. 
Cornelius Crane Chase was born in Lower Manhattan area of New York City on October 8th, 1943. Cornelius? Yeah. Cornelius Crane Chase. Man, was he born with an ascot? We'll get into that. Actually, good start. Actually, his family lived in poverty most of his childhood. Really? Just kidding. Yeah, nah. I was about to say, I thought he was had a silver spoon in his oh. Can you imagine being the only broke kid at like your broke kid school named Cornelius? Man, you were getting <laughs> fucked yeah. up. No, his pedigree coming into this world had already separated him from the rest of the normal people, but he claims to have lived a pretty regular upper middle class life. Chase and his family are part of the blue-blooded American elite who are listed in the exclusive Social Register. The Social Register is the semi-annual publication in the U.S. that indexes the members of American high society. Jeez, that exists? Yeah. Oh, wow. The first edition of the Social Register from the 1880s listed more than 5,000 people, most of whom were descended from early American settler families. His ancestors were New Yorkers back in 1624, but go all the way back to the Mayflower. I bet there's a lot of Corneliuses in that book. Oh yeah! Oh, there's gotta doubt. be. Without I can't believe like that that thing exists. Oh, I went down a rabbit hole on the social register, and it, it's definitely high society shit. When women used to go like visit other women's yes. cards, um, they would bring almost like a business card of their information. Yeah. So when you hear the term calling card, oh, that's, that's where it came from. from. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, dude, let's be honest. Somebody got on that and totally beat off to it was like i'm in the register oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes i told we've, daddy i'd we, get in there we've made it yeah we've made it as americans so his father edward tinsley known as ned chase was a princeton educated manhattan book editor and magazine writer and that's when book editors meant shit right right not to say anything about any of our <laughs> listeners now that may be book editors but his mother kathleen parker was a concert pianist and a libertist also known as a fancy music writer for stuff like operas and musicals. Oh. Gets better. His maternal grandfather was the Rear Admiral Miles Browning, who served as the chief of staff on the aircraft carrier USS Enterprise at the Battle of Midway in World War II. Oh, Man. wow. Mother yeah. Kathleen was adopted as a child by her stepfather, Cornelius Vanderbilt Crane, heir to the Crane Company, and took the name Catherine Crane. So the Crane Company is an American industrial product company that had a revenue of about three billion dollars in 2020. Uh, okay, you know, policy three billion dollars. You know. My grandfather, the Rear Admiral, <laughs> he said he's oversaw so many seamen. <laughs> so it wasn't like Chevy had to make up stories as a kid about oh, I got a millionaire uncle that has like six boats and a mansion that we all heard some dipshit as a kid you know talk about. He was speaking the truth when he talked about his privileged family. Chase was named for his adoptive grandfather, Cornelius, while the nickname Chevy was bestowed by his grandmother from the medieval English ballad, The Ballad of Chevy Chase. What? Yeah. I read uh, what the story was about, and as you know me, it sounded fucking super boring and nothing I would ever spend time reading. <laughs> Love it. No, yeah. I mean, it's funny because he was just like, Cornelius to Chevy. Chevy. My name's Chevy. Grandma hated Cornelius and was yes. like, you're... He's an asshole. You're going to be named Chevy. Yes. All right? From this like ballad from the Middle Ages. <laughs> it's my favorite. I always thought it was just like, yeah, like it was like the fucking car or some shit. No. Nope. Nope. It's from like a, Chaucer for real. Yeah. As a child, Chase vacationed at Castle Hill, the Crane's summer estate in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Not I've, Wally World? No, not no. in Wally World. I vacationed at White Castle. <laughs> so we're pretty much the same. <laughs> Chase's parents divorced when he was four. His father remarried into the Folgers Coffee family, and his mother remarried twice. 
Which is weird because you, like one of the people that were uh, in the Sharon Tate murders was one of the Folgers. Folgers. Yeah. yeah so yeah, they yeah. had known her. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. It's like my auntie. Yeah. But things weren't all sunshine and roses for Chevy Chase as a child. It was hard work for Chevy just to survive. He was a sensitive boy filled with fear and thoughts of his home life while he was at school made studying hard. His grades were low, yet when he tested, his IQ was extremely high. There it is. Oh, yep. <laughs> this made the problem worse because his stepfather, hearing the news, claimed there was no excuse for the low grades and would hit him, making his nose bleed or lock him in a dark closet. So, again, another story about a famous person with a way above average IQ, apparently. It seems to be a, a theme when we research a lot it's of these It's true, shows. but I will actually believe Chevy Chase over DMX on an <laughs> IQ test because something tells me that Cornelius is getting that IQ test where Earl is not. Yeah, or Courtney Love. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Chevy felt that he was working as hard or harder than his classmates, but working just to be accepted as a person or understanding how to survive such fear and despair and still be a good child. Chevy never told anyone what was going on at home, although he imagined some family friends must have known or suspected things weren't right. He never felt that he could tell his father, Ned. By that time, Ned had remarried and had a second family. Chevy didn't want him to know, didn't want him to worry. He said, I was afraid if dad would face off against John Cedarquist, he would lose a fight. John Cedarquist was a bigger, stronger, angrier man. Yeah, that's, it sounds like young Chevy Chase is a lot like my son. <laughs> just worried about you know his dad getting his shit kicked in <laughs> yeah, yeah, most of the time the uh, ideal is that a kid thinks that their dad is the toughest guy in the world but like we were out at a barbecue last night and uh, <laughs> we we're talking about my fighting prowess and even my son was like yeah dad you're gonna <laughs> and I was like wait a second this isn't right friends in the extended family just knew I was confused and the sad kid Chevy received the worst treatment of the five children Chevy's older brother, Ned Jr., towed the line more than Chevy and suffered fewer harsh punishments. He said, I was fraught with fear and low self-esteem. You're inundated with those thoughts and those fears, and you learn nothing about how to organize your time and do your homework. Chevy's younger half-brother, John, explained that Ned was a model student and a high school athlete. In my parents' estimation, there was no need to hammer on him since he already fit the mold. In contrast, Chevy was a moody and troublesome kid. And worse yet, he responded to the poundings he received, be they physical or worse, psychological and emotional, with sullen obstinacy, which I can tell you from my own experience was the quickest route to a painful reprisal from my parents. Ned was always mommy's golden boy, while Chevy was the ever pain in the butt. It was a daily ordeal for all concerned, but a particular vicious cycle for Chevy. My parents also compartmentalized their abuse and neglect of us, especially our mother. Everything was a dirty secret to be kept hidden from my father. She didn't want her shrink husband to know anything about her bizarre conduct, and for his part, my father wrote life as and for his part, my father's whole life was a secret, as he spent all day locked in the sanctum of a psychoanalytic office poking around other people's heads. Quote, my mother at her worst was like an unleashed animal. It was at her hands, at her feral altered states that Chevy suffered the darkest of his secret torments. So his dad was like Mr. Seaver off of Growing Pains. He had his own psycho like psychology thing upstairs. Some and they were divorced. So oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because yeah, right, yeah, he's yeah. worried about his dad getting his ass kicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he hates his dad. So wouldn't you kind of like root that on if you don't like your dad? I guess it's tough. You can I never guess, you yeah. never want your dad to get beat up. And he's probably like ten. So yeah, yeah it's hard <laughs> I'm to, like really digging deep. Yeah, here. I heard a story about uh, his mom that like once at fourteen he got in trouble at school. 
and uh, his mom locked him in the basement for several days with only a pitcher to use for the bathroom. A, like a pitcher, like, like a, a pitcher, tea pitcher, like a t- yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, at least at least get that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sliding sandwiches under the door. I was like, what if you just gave one of those little tiny paper cups that your grandma had at her, <laughs> like with like the, to rinse, <laughs> and, like mouthwash or whatever? Like you go to the dentist. Oh. She's like, fill that up. He said, if you're gonna, he said, if you're gonna spew, spew, spew into this. <laughs> I lived in fear all the time. Deathly fear, Chevy recalls. He remembers being awakened in the middle of the night and slapped continually hard and in the face. I don't remember what it was for or what I had done. This was not unusual. Being locked in the bedroom closet for hours was also a standard punishment in the household. To this day, Pamela, his sister, says she can't keep a hairbrush in her home. Her mother would hit her with a hairbrush when she became enraged. So, wait. So his mom like woke him up in the middle of the night and just slapped his slapped face. the piss out of him. For, Sounds like she got drunk and was like, "Oh fuck that! I'm so pissed at him." Just potential mental him health issues. Like, oh yeah, that's yeah. not normal no. at all. It's a strange not. thing. I wake my son up all the time. Just slap the shit out of him. <laughs> the best part of waking, waking up is slapping up your son. How can you hold on to that kind of anger against your kid? I knew I was a bad boy, but I didn't know that everybody wasn't punished in the same way I was. But Chase's mother and stepfather are now dead, but Chase was unable to forgive them, according to excerpts published by the New York Post. I always turned to it in my mind, he said. I'll never forgive them. At their graves, I didn't. It was too hard for me. You would think a grown man could shake it off as the coffin was lowered and say, I forgive you, but I don't forgive. I'm kind of, I mean, I get that, dude. Like, a lot of people are like, it's family. I'm like... Dude, you don't get to pick that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could totally be your your family could be a bunch of ass wipes. Yeah. And like, when people are like, "Well, I just, I mean, but they're family." Like, I'm just, it's just like a weird random setting. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's if your family, immediate family, is shitty, like it's okay to say they're shitty and not forgive them when they get lowered. Because they didn't, they didn't ask for forgiveness either. I don't. It doesn't sound right. Like it. No, no. But, no yeah. I mean, there's. It sounds dark, but being like, I'm fucking glad you're dead. We have a buddy. Sense. Yeah, we have a buddy that's real close to all three of us yeah. where his family non-existent. Dad went to prison when he was young. Mom yep. just doesn't really have anything to do. So he lived with me for a few years. Yep. He kind of bounced around, wound up traveling the world through the Peace Corps for a yep. while. Like and he's doing really, really well now. But um, yeah, he, he, you know, didn't really have a family after about age eight. Yeah. You know, well, so. I mean, when when that much psychological trauma is brought on to you by the people who are supposed to be your protectors and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that you need to forgive that in order. I mean, that's more on their part to come to you groveling, being mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, I'm so sorry about that. Right. Yeah. I'll make you amends know? before I before I die or whatever. And there's a difference, too, because sometimes uh, people get real like oh, my parents are so bad. They're like. Wouldn't give me that car I wanted at sixteen. Right. You know, they took different. away my cell phone, yeah. like for a week. But when your parents, yeah, when your parents are like toxic fucking people, like I'm just telling all of our listeners, like it's okay to hate your parents. Yeah. <laughs> Blood is not thicker than water. Yeah, you know, I don't hate my parents, but if you hate your parents, I'm on your side. <laughs> Chase was educated at Riverdale County School, an independent day school in the Riverdale neighborhood of the Bronx. Now, there are several stories about his exit from Riverdale, one being that he was expelled. During a 2009 interview on the Today Show, he verified the oft-publicized urban legend that he was expelled for harboring a cow in his fourth-floor room. I just want to know the logistics of this. How you get a cow up to your dorm room on the fourth floor. I like fresh milk in the morning, all right? Unpasteurized fresh milk. Yeah, what is it with, like... um 
you know, school pranks always having to do with farm animals. Remember they like released chickens, chickens at our high, yeah, yeah. In our high school. The year before we were seniors, the seniors are great above us, released a bunch of chickens in the cafeteria. Uh, as their senior prank day. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we got a cow. We stole a goat. We stole, yeah. You're like, what the fuck? What is it with farm animals? These poor farm animals. Although his former roommate, David Felson, asserted in a 2003 interview that Chase left for academic reasons. Sounds much more believable. <laughs> right. Whatever the case, he wound up transferring schools and graduated in 1962 from Stockbridge School, an independent boarding school in the town of Stockbridge, Massachusetts. While at Stockbridge, he was known as a practical joker with an occasional mean streak. He attended Haverford College during the 1962-63 term, where he was noted for slapstick comedy and an absurd sense of physical humor, including his signature pratfalls and sticking forks into his orifices. What? Oh, what? I'm guessing ears, nose, mouth. They but... should really clarify that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he stuck a plunger in an orifice. You're like, you know where my mind's going. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way I'm like, oh, it's definitely his ear. It's always his asshole. And could you imagine a fork up the asshole? Like, God. Oh. Ugh. Yeah, there's. Pro- I mean, there's probably some internet porn with that shit. If, you, if you turn it around and go just rule like thirty four. I mean, if, yeah, it's always on the internet. Yeah, there's yeah. something out there. Also, uh, Haverford College. I mean, seriously, like that's some Cornelius is attending Haverford College. <laughs> he must. He had. You didn't even have like a uniform. It was just like a, an ascot. Like yeah. you're just a straight up like fucking ascot like the dude from uh, Caddyshack the rich guy with the yacht yeah I can imagine at Haverford if they did have the jackets he would have gone uh, Fresh Prince and turned it inside, inside out, out. Yeah, had the, the, cool... the rainbow colors on yeah. the outside while well, he yeah. stuck a fork up his ass <laughs> you gotta go with the spoon if you're gonna be picking the utensils right not a fork I would... uh, not fork knife spoon what you choosing Mikey uh, I'm gonna go with a cocktail fork <laughs> <laughs> or I don't know like I'm like maybe a butter knife but there's no good answer here yeah. you know what I'm saying <laughs> One of those honey spoons. <laughs> With the beehive on the end? Yeah, yeah. The beehive is what's going up. That actually might be okay. <laughs> it's ribbed for my pleasure. <laughs> How many times have you listened to an episode and thought, man, I wish they would have said this? Well, now with our interactive social media pages, you can. Let us know what you think about our show subjects and give us your scores. We'd love to hear from you. Well, most of you at least. Let's dive back into the action. In his college years, Chase attended Bard College in New York where he studied a pre-med curriculum. Being a pre-med student and entering medical school afterward would disqualify him from entering the draft of the ongoing Vietnam War. However, instead of going through with that, he switched majors to English and graduated in 1967 with a Bachelor of Arts in English. To avoid the draft, Chevy made up many things about himself to try and get a 4F classification, not qualified for physical, mental, or moral standards. Mm -hmm. Chase said that he was a homosexual, and the draft board granted him a 4F designation. Hey, man, I'm going to be honest here. I would have dodged the fuck out of the Vietnam War, dude. Like, (laughs) I ain't even mad. I'm not anybody that dodged the draft in Vietnam, like... Those dudes were like ahead of the curve. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I was like, this war was for nothing. Yeah. Now, the only people that pissed me off are that dodge the draft and then they come back and then they're like some fucking Warhawk shit like Ted Nugent. But someday we'll do Ted Nugent. And when you hear his story of how he dodged the draft, but then he comes out now, he's like all for the troops and shit like that. Bro, I ain't mad at anybody that dodged the Vietnam draft. 
didn't Pat Robertson have like connections and he get, he was like a bartender? Yeah, well, he the, he didn't dodge the the draft. He went uh, he served in Korea. 90. He served. Well, no, he served. Yeah, yeah. By then, <laughs> he served in Korea and actually was um the thing. He, his his father was a senator, so he got like a cushy fucking bar job in Japan while Korea was going on. Then he lied about being in like the shit in Korea. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Another fact about Chevy Chase you may not know about is that he's a pretty talented musician. True. Yes. Chase has perfect pitch. Yes. Absolute pitch, often called perfect pitch, is a rare ability of a person to identify or recreate a given musical note without the benefit of a reference tone. You know, I've heard about that. There's a new special on Netflix that goes like perfect behind pitch, the pop the yeah. movie. Well, it, it talks about that. Isn't that with uh, that funny Anna hint or... I'm Anyways, we butchered ball. the joke. No, you remember that stupid yeah, movie, Perfect yeah, Pitch? Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't see it, but I know you're talking about yeah. it. Yeah. But they were talking about before autotune was was invented that, you know, like all of the best artists would be in the studio for like a week or so. Like it took the Beatles like a week just on the vocals. Uh, but the one person that pretty much got it all in one take was David Bowie. They said that that dude had perfect pitch. Yeah. Huh. But perfect pitch is weird because you're like, sing a G and they're like, bam, nail the yeah. G. Whereas G- like a lot of people, yeah, even like great singers are just like, they have to hear it and then they sort of tone up to it. If you have perfect pitch, which actually is arguable whether it exists or not. Yeah. Some people, they say it doesn't exist or whatever, but yeah, if you can, can you imagine that? Like sing a G and they're like, got it. Then yeah. they, they can like, you can tune your guitar to Chevy Chase's voice. Dude. Can you imagine that? <laughs> While a bard, he played drums with the college band, the Leather Canary, headed by school friends, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. That sounds like a gay club. Yeah. The leather canary. Yeah. You get that 4F discharge. That's it. Yeah. Hey, nothing wrong with that. He was grinding it out with uh, some fucking mustachioed dude from uh, the village people. That's right. Chase has called the group a bad jazz band. Although Becker and Fagan, the other bandmates, later founded the successful group Steely, Steely Dan. Dan. That's, That's right. Cool. Yeah. And do you guys know where Steely Dan, the name comes from? No, where? Uh... What should we call it? Burroughs book, uh, Naked Lunch. Steely Dan was a giant dildo. Really? (laughs) Steely Dan was a huge metal dildo. Interesting. Yeah, which I I honestly don't like Steely Dan at all, but I almost sort of like thought about giving them a listen again once I realized what their name was about. And I was like, all right. (laughs) What else did I miss? Yeah. Big old metal dildo, dude. Like the Iron Giant just pounding it out. He also played drums and keyboards for a rock band called Chameleon Church, which recorded one album for MGM Records before disbanding in 1969. To give the album a more soft rock sound, the producer made several alterations in the mixing, including the muting of Chase's bass drum, and Chase was reportedly incensed when he heard the final mix. Even though he seemed to have been born with a silver spoon, Chevy held down a number of jobs before he started to become famous. He worked as a cab driver, a truck driver, a motorcycle messenger, a construction worker, a waiter, a busboy, a fruit picker, produce manager in a supermarket, an audio engineer, salesman in a wine store, and a theater usher. And a giant metal dildo. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of work. Uh, that's, um, yeah, I mean. And it's weird to come up with so much family money. And he said, we, I didn't get any of that inheritance. I never really saw it. Yes, I vacation in nice places. Yes, my parents have money, but I didn't really ever get the benefit of all my heirs. Well, no, and I mean, like, and if all this stuff is true, you're like, that would be really mentally fucked up because you see that you have access to all this luxury. And yet, like, you go to these private schools and all this shit like that, but you're having to do all these jobs and then getting woken up in the middle of the night and get your fucking face slapped and shit. Like, 
I'll go with my broke-ass parents any day over this shit. <laughs> right? So now, we're going to begin the tale of the reason we all know about Chevy Chase, his comedic career, and unfortunately the stories that go along with this that have brought him into our courtroom today. Chase was a member of the early underground comedy ensemble called Channel One, which he co-founded in 1967. He also wrote a one-page spoof on Mission Impossible for Mad Magazine in 1970 and was a writer for the short-lived Smothers Brothers TV show back in the spring of 1975. That's like the fourth I was about to say, somehow this is like the multiple (laughs) reference of the Smothers Brothers somehow on Asshole Court. All of our boomer listeners are like, yes, yes, the Smothers (laughs) Brothers, all four of them. Hey, I'd rather hear about the Smothers Brothers than pedophiles. Yes. How do you not know that the Smothers Brothers weren't weren't pedophiles? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kidding. They definitely weren't. (laughs) Chase made the move to comedy as a full-time career in 1973 when he became a writer and cast member of the National Lampoon Radio Hour. It was a syndicated satirical radio series. The National Lampoon Radio Hour also featured John Belushi, Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, and Brian Doyle Murphy all of whom later became not-for-ready primetime players on NBC Saturday Night, later retitled NBC Saturday Night, and ultimately Saturday Night Live. Yeah. yeah. And, dude, National Lampoon's is the foundation of so much of the comedy that's come in the last 40 years. Yeah. 50 years. I mean, people, like, everything, when we talk about vacation, that's National Lampoon's. When we talk about Animal House, that's National Lampoon's. And they had a magazine for a while, which uh, John Hughes, who did all of the, uh, he did, obviously did Home Alone. He did uh, Sixteen Candles. He He wrote for them. And the only thing that blew my mind was it was like they had a magazine out and they put one out in like the 70s. And on the cover of the National Lampoon's magazine was this cute looking puppy with a pistol to its head. And the title was Buy This Magazine or We'll Kill This Dog. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that is so hard in the paint for the 70s well, yeah. it had to be shocking and i was like yeah nowadays you wouldn't you'd be like oh yeah of course but they set the tone bro yeah yeah absolutely chase was one of the original cast members of saturday night live which began in october of 1975 during the first season he introduced every show except two with live from new york it's saturday night so that was his catchphrase yeah he yeah had two. There's two of them yep the remark was often preceded by a pratfall known as the fall of the week Chase became known for his skill at physical comedy. In one comedy sketch, he mimicked a real-life incident in which President Gerald Ford accidentally tripped while disembarking from Air Force One in Salzburg, Austria. The portrayal of President Ford as a bumbling klutz became a favorite device of Chase's and helped form the popular concept of Ford as being a clumsy man. Yeah. In later years, Chase met and became friendly with President Ford. And unfortunately, all these physical falls he took would take a toll on him later in life. It actually is true that Chase's like uh, interpretation of Ford like haunted him for years because Gerald Ford is known for two things. One is pardoning Richard Nixon. Yep. Yep. Everybody hates that motherfucker for that. And two is he was a big bumbling idiot that fell downstairs all the time. Yeah, he fell <laughs> like imagine being Gerald Ford. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like the actual acc- legacy, the accidental president. <laughs> and you're like, all right, well, things are looking up for us, fam. Everybody moving to the White House. And then, like, years later, they're like, you're the dude that pardoned Nixon and fell down the stairs, you fucking idiot. <laughs> oh, and it's on YouTube. Go Google or, yes. yeah, forward falling down the stairs. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It is pretty yeah, funny. It is. Yeah. Chase was the original anchor for the weekend update segment of SNL. And his catchphrase introduction, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not, would wind up becoming <laughs> the name of a book he wrote years later. Yeah, and it's a little sneak peek into the inside of, of that mind, I right. suppose. 
In late 1976, in the middle of the second season, Chase became the first member of the original cast to leave the show. He was beginning to get offers for feature films and wanted to move on from the sketch TV world. But he didn't leave the show without first pissing off a lot of the cast during his time there. Yep. According to uh, Jeff Weingrad and Doug Hill's Saturday Night, a backstage history of Saturday Night Live, Chase was known as a viciously effective put-down artist, the sort who could find one thing about somebody who was sensitive about a pimple on the nose, perhaps, and then kid about it mercilessly. In meetings, he'd smirk at writer's suggestions and say, gee, I don't think that's a very good idea. As the show, and in particular Chevy, took off, his co-workers accused him of not giving them enough credit in interviews. He was also doing too much coke and spending time on set bragging about his fame and ordering people around on set. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's one thing to be like, you know, give someone a solid ribbing, but everybody knows everybody's flaws. And everybody knows, like, what people are, you know, just insecure about. And you know you when you go nuclear on somebody where you're like, I know exactly what bothers you, mm-hmm. and I'm going to fucking do it. And you I'm going to get it, yeah. Not yeah. once, not twice, yeah, but a it's... million times. We've all had that coworker in the office that's been the condescending asshole. Mm-hmm. You know, and you put up with them, but at the same time, like, you don't want to keep on encountering that and keep on encountering that. For him to just keep on doing that, that's a little bit of a dick. Well, and to, like, laser pinpoint the thing that hurts the most yeah. and be like, that's fucked up. Dude. And in That's, front yeah. of other people, too. Yes. Yeah, to publicly embarrass him. On his way out, he also pissed off SNL's producer, Lauren Michaels. Lauren and Chevy were close friends until Chevy, without warning, decided to leave the show at the end of his contract and do a handful of primetime specials for NBC, severing his relationship with Bernie Brillstein, the manager he shared with Lauren, and signed with William Morris in the process. Chevy was a scumbag the way he left. One of the writers said, deceitful and dishonest about the whole thing. When staff writer Tom Davis asked why he was leaving, Chevy said, money. Lots of money. Yeah. Yeah, he was the first one to like, you know, that, that he was only there his career. A year and a half. He was yeah. actually on SNL for a year and a half as a permanent cast member. It's true. And I'll be honest, man, like a lot of people, I think that you sort of get a generational sense of humor based on which era of snl that you love now mm-hmm. all of us grew up like the 90s oh, with the mike myers and that was a huge Adam Sandler, deal chris yeah, yeah. Oh, that was the golden chris rock yeah. but our parents loved the late 70s the belushi yeah the, yeah and i just not like they're always like oh john belushi was a genius and i watched it and i'm just like i don't I, it doesn't register with me you know what i'm saying so it's kind of uh just kind of interesting like it, the, the the rule of thumb for SNL is that everybody that loved it at some point always says it that it like never or it got bad and never got better again. That that error, whatever it is for yeah. you, it just the show doesn't move on after right, that point right. for the majority of people. But Chase wasn't done with SNL altogether. He came back several times in the late seventies, and there was one incident in nineteen seventy eight that has become infamous. In nineteen seventy eight, Chevy returned for some work on the show. According to Chevy John Belushi had spent a lot of time poisoning the cast against him, in particular, Bill Murray, who was more or less his replacement on the show. In Belushi's dressing room, Bill apparently confronted Chevy and the two traded barbs. Murray told Chase in front of the cast and crew that everyone hated him and to go home and fuck his wife. Chase returned fire by claiming Murray's pockmarked face looked like a landing spot for Neil Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's it. He found the one, the one thing... Where he's just like, you know, you can't change that. You know, Bill Murray probably had acne as a kid. Yep. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to fucking go in on you hard <laughs> on your fucking, on your acne scars. Here's a little salt in the womb yeah. and a squirt of lime. You know? And the confrontation turned physical. 
Apparently, Belushi tried to break it up and received most of the punches by accident. <laughs> I would, I would literally, I would pay thousands of dollars to see this fight. It was in front of the, a lot of the cast. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe Chevy Chase's brother was there too, or something like uh, that. I know a lot of the female cast was in the dressing room. Stop! Like, stop! Yeah, stop! Exactly. Stop. Bill Murray fighting Chevy Chase and John Belushi just catching all the punches. <laughs> I mean, sign me up. And Chevy's not a small guy. He's like six two. No, six, he's like six four or six five. He's yeah, real tall. Yeah. yeah. He's just like you ever see with those uh, boxing matches where the ref gets smoked. Yeah. Boom! <laughs> that was John Belushi's ass. Chase's account of the fight in Live from New York is hilarious, both for being so self-serving and for his insistence that he, an upper-class, 14th-generation New Yorker, had grown up on the edge of East Harlem and had been in a lot of fistfights. Right. Chase, undeterred, returned to live cameras to deliver his monologue to an audience completely unaware of just what had happened backstage. Oh, I gotta watch that. Yeah. Dude, also, I was just talking about like he just was scrapping out in the Bronx and shit like that. Bro, your mom slapped you to death in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only fist fight you got in. It was one-sided. Your mom hitting you in the face and you hitting the floor. No, I'm just kidding. Your mom hitting you in the face and your mom hitting you in the face and your mom hitting you in the face. <laughs> Later working on Caddyshack together, the pair appeared to have patched things up in the years since. It was really a Hollywood fight, a don't-touch-my-face kind of thing, recalled Murray in a 2012 interview with Empire. Because we all felt mad he had left us, and somehow I was the anointed avenging angel who had to speak for everyone. But Chevy and I are friends now. It's all good. You know, that yeah. was actually one of my more favorite parts of Caddyshack is the scene between them, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase, where Chevy like hits his ball into Bill Murray's room or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And Bill Murray's giving him a joint and telling him that he made a new kind of grass, which was basically like just weed. Yeah. It's like, you can play on it during the day and get high on it at night. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Murray. Yeah. Bill Murray was solid in Caddyshack. Yeah. Man. But I, you know, it's funny. Uh, it's that Chevy Chase is like, oh, John Belushi turned everybody against me. Uh, no, dude, you left the show and fucked everybody over. Yeah, and like, right. literally, like, so think about this. Like, think about their responses about how this happened. Chevy Chase, his side is it like, bro, I grew up in the mean streets of the Bronx. I will fucking fist fight anybody. And Bill Murray's like, yeah, we're a bunch of fucking Hollywood bitches. Like, we're just like, don't touch my face. And he's like, but we're cool. So who do I like more? Right. Speaking of which, Bill Murray now has a uh, a golf apparel line out. He is I, I, really, I, and he's also an excellent, he's like a scratch golfer. Yeah, I have a couple of his shirts. They're okay. pretty cool. Oh, yeah, nice. absolutely. Movie Modern Problems was a 1981 film with Chevy Chase starring as the main character as an air traffic controller who gets telekinetic abilities. Oh, man. <laughs> the movie was successful. It made $26 million on a budget of $8 million. However, this movie was probably one of the worst experiences Chevy ever experienced making a movie as he nearly died during filming. During one dream sequence, he is dressed as a human airplane. The lights he was wearing malfunction and he was electrocuted and lost consciousness. <laughs> it hurts! <laughs> hold on, hold on. You remember that show uh, on like Spike TV, A Thousand Ways to Die back in the day? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that could have been one of them, yeah. right? He said he dressed up as an airplane on a movie set. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God! Make it stop! Yeah, I'm just telling you, it seems like super, uh, special effects in the stunt game back in the 80s was very subpar. Chevy Chase almost got electrocuted. Michael Jackson burned all his hair off. Pepsi commercial. Yeah. Man. I mean, thank God for CGI <laughs> now, I guess, right? Yeah. In the mid to late 80s, Chevy Chase had become one of the biggest names in Hollywood. In 1983, he starred in the first of one of my favorite series of movies, 
National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah, boy. So good, in dude. 1985, he starred in Fletch, the first of two films based on Gregory McDonald's Fletch books, as well as Spies Like Us. Oh, dude, Spies Like Us is so fucking good. Yeah. So good. Him and Dan Aykroyd, oh, when they're yeah. cheating for the CIA exam or whatever, yeah. it's, like, it's so fucking good. <laughs> Chase was asked to host SNL again in 1985, and this definitely did not go well. According to an article in the Huffington Post, his return in 1985 saw him branded as a monster by the show's first openly gay performer, Troy Sweeney. This came after Chase proposed a sketch in which Sweeney would have AIDS. John Lovett oh, says in the oh, incident, hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. There's a, a, a gay plague sweeping the nation. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah. dude. John Lovett says of the incident, so Chevy looks at Terry Sweeney and goes, you're gay, right? Terry goes, yes. What would you like for me to do for you? Chevy goes, well, you can start by licking my balls. <laughs> I mean, we laugh, but God damn. That's yeah. a starting point. That's yeah. actually not that bad considering that the, the premise of a sketch was a gay man getting AIDS. <laughs> yeah. And also, hey, man. Oh, that was just offset, like them just talking. He's like, you're gay, right? No, yeah. I know. I'm saying this. What a, can I do for you? Yeah. Bro? Yeah. But also, I'm like, you pretended to be gay to get out of Vietnam. They should right? throw this dude a bone. I, that's not the. <laughs> oh. oh. No, that, was, that actually was totally unintentional. Now I sound like Chevy Chase. <laughs> Jesus Christ, though. You're like, hey, hey, can you imagine that writing circle? They're like, so I got this idea. You know this thing that's killing all these gay guys up in New York? Well, <laughs> check this joke out. Chase was on such bad behavior that week, the cast resorted to hiding from him, and it didn't stop there. He seemed to piss off literally everyone. He made fun of Robert Downey Jr.'s father, saying, didn't your father used to be a successful director? Whatever happened to him? Boy, he sure died, you know? He sure went to hell. Terry Sweeney said... He wound up having to apologize and coming to my office. He was absolutely furious that he had to come apologize to me. Uh, but it's, there's not even a joke in there. You're just like, how's your dad doing? Well, he's dead. And then you're like, he's also burning in hell. Yeah. Chase joined SNL veteran Steve Martin and Martin Short in the Lauren Michaels produced comedy The Three Amigos in 1986. So good. So good. Yeah. Yes. Declaring in an interview that making The Three Amigos was the most fun he had ever had making a film. That's, I'll bet you yeah. that movie set was fun as fuck. Yeah. I love doing an El Wapo impersonation. Remember he's on stage, he, he's, they got the new rifles, and the guy's standing on it. He goes, oh, he said, hey, hold your hat. <laughs> he said, higher, <laughs> higher. <laughs> and then he just fucking shoots the guy off the building. There's so much good. And, oh, God, that movie's amazing. The trio hosted SNL that year, the only time the show had ever had three hosts on one show. 1986 also marked Chase's first stint in rehab. With all his physical style comedy he endured early on, he began to have back problems and prescribed prescription painkillers. Uh, here we go. However, he went overboard and had to check into the Betty Ford Clinic. Okay. Yep. At the height of his career in the late 80s, Chase earned around $7 million per film and was a highly visible celebrity. Dude, seven mil per film in the late 80s. Is, oh, get, yeah. Getting it's like, it. It's like 14 mil a day now. Yeah. Maybe even more. Shit, yeah. He appeared alongside Paul Simon, one of his best friends, in Simon's 1986 second video for I'll Call You, you Can, can call, call Me, me Al. Al. Yeah. Yep, in which he lip syncs all of Simon's lyrics. Chase hosted the Academy Awards in 1987 and 88, opened the telecast in 1988 with the quip, Good evening, Hollywood phonies. <laughs> yeah. Chase filmed the sequel to Vacation, 1985's National Lampoon's European Vacation, and then the third, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation in 1989, 
which thanks to its holiday theme has become one of the more durable films airing on NBC every December. Okay, give I me your it. ratings on best to worst vacation films. Uh, I like Christmas Vacation, Original, uh, European, and then Vegas. Yeah, that's. I think that's pretty sad. I think the only question is, which is better, the Original Vacation or Christmas Vacation? And it's tough. <sighs> that's, a, that's a tough one. I mean, like... Christmas is my favorite because it's got a lot of Cousin Eddie when they come. Oh, man. Oh, cousin man. Eddie, him yeah. dumping uh, the tank into the Shitter's full. <laughs> yeah, and everybody knows Vegas is the worst. And everybody knows that European is like... just. I, yeah, I like European. It's European's not bad, good. but it's definitely third place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Look, uh, kids, Big Ben, Parliament. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, it's tough because, um, yeah, uh, I think ultimately Christmas takes the cake because... It's just, yeah, it's, it's, there's nostalgia there to watch it every Christmas and stuff like that. And that scene when he gets locked in the attic and is watching the, the thing and, with and the, pink the robe and the, and, yeah. the, and like the hair. I mean, it's just, it's, it's brilliant. Oh, I, I, but I love the scene where they pull up to Wally World and it's closed yeah. and he has that meltdown right yeah, there. Yeah, he's got the I mean, BB gun from the sporting goods store. <laughs> there's, yeah, and then uh, John a, Candy. A dead person breathed on me. <laughs> The National Lampoon movies are definitely some of my favorites. Christmas, va- like we just said, Christmas Vacation is my favorite. I love it when he tells Cousin Eddie, anything I can get for you, Eddie? Something to drink, something to eat, take you out in the middle of nowhere, leave you for dead. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of in passing. Shit makes me die Where they're time. eating the turkey, that just like oh, dehydrated yeah. yeah. turkey. There's so many jokes in that movie. It's just like nonstop. Like the, one of my favorites is when they're trying to figure out why like Cousin Eddie isn't getting a job and his wife's like, he's holding out for management. <laughs> Buddy, your score is too low. That person was definitely a giant asshole, and you rated them like they were Justin Bieber. Wouldn't you like to tell us what you think? Well, now you can. Check us out on all of our social media pages and tell us what you think about our scores, shows, and good looks. We'd love to hear what you think. Pucker up, Buttercup. It's back to asshole court. In 1992, Chase was a guest on The Howard Stern Show. Later that year, Chase was recorded talking shit about Stern in between commercial breaks on Larry King's show. Stern got a hold of the tape and played it on air before calling Chase, who told Stern never to call me again. (laughs) A few years later, Stern and Richard Belzer called the furious Chase several times at 5 (laughs) (laughs) a.m. I mean, that's some shit I do. (laughs) The two apparently made up and Chase was invited to Stern's wedding but apparently gave a wildly inappropriate toast that only fueled Stern's dislike of him. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Why did you get back in the good graces? You just- At your wedding, dude. And Well, yeah. why would you invite the guy? He's talking mad shit on you. You ain't coming to my wedding, bro. But uh, Did you get into his like uh, his late night show? No, Chevy Chase's? Yeah. No, okay. it, it was just a massive fail. It was. That's what, so that's like, I think what's interesting is at that point, like in the very late 80s, very, very early 90s, Chevy Chase was like on top of the world. Well, they had picked him to be Carson's replacement. Yes. And yeah. I remember like it was a huge deal. Yeah. They had, they got like a Doritos endorsement and it was like a big deal like Chevy Chase is coming to late night. And it was, uh, I remember being excited about it. And you can go back and watch that first episode where he had like Goldie Hawn and it's so fucking bad. Well, it's, the funny thing about it is uh, when they told him, you know, hey, you could be the next Carson. He goes, you'll never find me trapped in a desk interviewing Hollywood people. That's right. And, and Johnny then, Carson shot back and he said, uh, Chevy Chase, he couldn't ad lib a fart after a baked bean dinner. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. You can't fuck with Carson, boy. But no, so th- I think that's honestly, I think that is literally like the failure of that show is the pivotal moment where Chevy Chase 
like his, his downward trajectory begins. Everything starts turning yeah. at that point. In 1996, he returned again to host Saturday Night Live. When he was here, Tim Meadows says in the book Live from New York, it was like watching a car accident over and over again, just watching him deal with people. According to Will Ferrell, Chase was a little snobbish and prone to screaming at people. At the show's first meeting, he told a female writer, maybe you could give me a hand job later, reportedly <laughs> mortifying Lauren Michaels. I don't know if he was on something or what, Farrell said, if he had taken too many back pills that day or something. Back pills. <laughs> yeah. Now, don't him and uh, Chevy have a kind of a feud a little bit, or at least did for a while? I don't I just know that he likes him. And uh, there's a little bit more here further down that, uh, yeah, you'll see why. When Chase returned to host the February 15th, 1997 show, his behavior caused him to be the 12th person to be banned from the show. Oh, wow. Ouch. During a dress rehearsal... After a week of dishing out abuse to several cast members, he slapped Sherry O'Terry in the back of the head. Jesus. While he swore for it to be a joke, a furious Will Ferrell complained to Lauren Michaels, who decided that that was the final straw. Now, that's a fight I would pay to see. Will, Will Ferrell and Chevy. Those are big, tall dudes. Oh, yeah. Dude, I want to see them in the, in the ring like rock'em, sock'em robots. Those you know? are big dudes, yeah. man. That's like, those are both like, they could fight heavyweight. Probably two, oh, yeah. 225, yeah, sure. 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, but, I mean, see, that's what I hate. I hate the guy that's always, like, given all the jabs, but, like... Can't and tried, take it. Well, no, yeah, no, no, no just from a sense it. of, like, you know, like, he's always trying... Oh, it was a joke. It was oh, a joke. Too, yeah. you, know, uh, uh, you know, like, he says something really shitty and then kind of looks around for everybody. Ha, 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 Yeah, like that you spate know? of, like, uh, YouTube pranks that was happening yeah. a few years ago yeah. where they're like, hey, and they, like, tell somebody that their parents, like, mom died in a car wreck and then the person gets really mad or... Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's not funny. No, <laughs> it's yeah, not funny, no, man. I, I hate that shit. Chase is the only cast member banned so far, as well as the only five-time hosters club to have ever been banned. While Chase is apparently banned from hosting the show, he's made several guest appearances since. Chase appeared on Politically Incorrect in 1997 alongside television producer Stephen Bacow and insistently hijacked the conversation to talk about how television and Bacow's work in particular is useless and worthless. Now, keep in mind, Bacow is the executive producer of shows like Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, Doogie Howser, M.D., Cop Rock, and NYPD Blue. Oh, my God. Have you guys ever seen Cop Rock? No. No, I haven't. <sighs> All right. Here's the deal. Everybody that's listening to this right now needs to go watch that first episode of Cop Rock ever. The premise for Cop Rock is that it is a procedural cop show standard as a musical Oh, uh, I heard about that. Yes. Yeah. John Oliver just did a recent thing on it. And I remember like he started talking about it. And I was like, oh, shit, he's about to talk about cop rock because it was like uh, it was and, <laughs> cop and, rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's so much worse. Like we've all talked on the show about how much we don't like musicals or whatever. Now, take like a bad musical, amp that shit up to about like a thousand and that's what cop rock is. Like you, you have to see it. Like there's a guy that, like what John Oliver was showing on there was there's a guy that is a uh, child trafficker that sings a song about how he'll sell you a baby. And it's so, he's like, oh my god! Yeah, yeah, and, and but it's not even. You feel like you're like this is a joke. This has to be a comedy. Was not meant as a comedy. <laughs> Go watch cop rock. You had me out at musical. <laughs> yes. Shortly after the barbers with the co, he admits that he's not terribly familiar with his work. When Bill Maher attempts to get the conversation back on track, Chase declares that he disapproves even of Maher's show. Bacow suggests that Chase leave the show, and Chase almost makes it out the door before Maher stops him and asks him to stay. I have so much YouTube to, to get into after you guys leave my house. 
I got to see after he fights uh, Bill Murray. I have to see this politically incorrect with Bill Maher. I, I'm excited. Another episode of Cop Rock. Yes, yes. Watch that one. <laughs> right before I go to bed. He's That's like, what... I'm your baby dealer. I'll sell you a baby. <laughs> oh I swear God. to God. Swear to God. Wow. Watch that shit. Wow. That same year, Chevy met with Kevin Smith of Jay and Silent Bob fame to talk about relaunching the Fletch series. According to Smith, the meeting was a disaster. He said, at the lunch, Chevy went on to claim he invented every funny thing that ever happened in the history of not just comedy, but also the known world. Uh, you ever sat down with somebody who claimed the responsibility for stuff and he didn't really do it? It's quite off-putting. Chase later accused Smith of lying to him. Around this time, there was also an incident with comedian Rob Heibel. Heibel, who described himself as the biggest Chevy Chase fan in the world, approached Chevy backstage at the UCB Theater to introduce himself only to have Chevy slap him in the face offensively hard. It was done as, as a joke in good humor, Chase told the New York Magazine. There it See, is again. I told you. Yep. Slap me in the face, motherfucker, and I'll be like, oh, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Heibel said he didn't take offense, but it left, uh, left quite an impression on him. At the 2002 Friars Club roast of Chevy Chase, one of those broadcasts on Comedy Central, you know yeah, what I'm talking course. about, maybe the only thing Chevy's been involved in professionally where he didn't wind up pissing anybody off. And yet we have to mention it, if only because it's maybe the best and saddest evidence of how many friends Chevy had left after a nearly four-decade run in Hollywood. Almost no one from the original Saturday Night Live showed up. It was Paul Schaefer, a member of the band, and the comedians who did show weren't exactly close friends of Chase and were unbelievably cruel. Many watched without really having a sense of how widely hated Chevy Chase was. By the end, there was literally no question that not many cared for him. It's honestly one of the roasts that everybody still... It may be the most famous roast that I can think of because everybody's just like, you can see it's like the culmination of his shittiness. And right. and like and, it, and you can tell that it's destroying him inside. Like, remember Good. The Simpsons? Good. Where, where Bart was like, you can actually tell the moment that you break Ralphie's heart in two. <laughs> And yes. I remember watching it and feeling like I choo choo choo. Yes, and I felt bad for Chevy Chase. I was like this, and he had. I remember he had um some glasses that were like uh, transition lenses. <laughs> you know, where it's like honestly because I think he was like trying not to cry. Right, it was, it's fucking savage, dude. Good like, it's, man, gets what he deserved. It's yeah, it's tough because you're like, man, I really like your movies, but and you deserve all this shit, but you still, if you're a human being, you still feel. It's almost like watching Saddam Hussein get hung. <laughs> you know what I'm, I'm going to draw a parallel here where you're like, you're a horrible person and you deserve every bit of this, but you're still a human being and seeing you shit yourself after you get hung is it's pretty rough, man. Yeah. yeah. Chase went on to be part of the cast of the new show Community. Chevy has a reputation for being a dick, said Dino Stamatopoulos, who plays the character Star Burns. He told Mac Marone on his podcast last year, that reputation is earned. Stamopopoulos nevertheless insists that he personally likes Chevy and that all the actor needs is a little respect, which he apparently doesn't get from the younger cast. Dino went on to write, Chevy mostly pissed me off when I was working on Conan back around 1994. I'd been working hard all week on a very complex desk piece. It played the segment right before Chevy came out and it did okay. After Chevy was introduced, he sat down and the first thing he said was, wow, Conan, that bit sure was stupid. Also, oh, wow. just to clarify, I get along with Chevy because I barely work with him and don't have him consistently ruining whole days when I'm there like he does with the regular cast members. I view him now as a confused old man who can't really hurt me in any way. 
I understand why the regulars on Community and the full-time writers hated him. If he had wasted my time as much as he wasted their time, I'd hate him too. So no one has come out and specifically said, I hate Chevy Chase, but there are hints. On Watch What Happens Live, Yvette Brown, another Community cast member, didn't even have to think twice before naming Chevy Chase as the person she'd kick off Community if she had a choice to choose one. Asked by the Daily Beast, Jace Lacobe about an uncomfortable rape joke Chevy made at a panel appearance by the cast, Brown and fellow cast member Allison Bree and writer Megan Gantz were diplomatic but not particularly warm. They said his bits are from a different time. A lot of crass comedy is accepted, Bree offers. Some people didn't know how to word it the right way. Brown agrees that some people don't know their room. Maybe he was from a time when women weren't empowered to speak up. I'm glad that we're in a time now where if you feel offended or upset by something, you feel empowered to say, that's not right. Chase doesn't seem to be helping things by telling the Huffington Post that the two relatable characters are the two white girls, the two pretty young girls, Allison Bree and Jillian Jacobs, who are probably more like people we can all understand. So, pretty blind comment there. Too. Yeah. yeah. And he had some issues with Donald Glover on the show, he did, too, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Oh, he, he dropped know? the N-word one time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, when he was reading his lines, he messed up. He didn't say it to anyone in particular, but he said it to himself. And everybody's like, yo, bro. You, yeah. Whoa, man. Yeah. Yeah. Donald Glover was like, I'm good with this. I'm not fucking yeah, this guy. I'm out on that guy. But it's 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 uh it's kind of crazy, too, because, you know, he just never fucking learns, dude. Like he got skewered on that roast. Like everybody was like, fuck this guy. And then he gets a life raft thrown to him. Right. Yeah, with community. With community. community where yeah. you can like and because we've talked about this, Americans love that second act. Of course. Come back, rehabilitate yourself, be like, you know what? I was a fucking asshole dude. And like Justin Bieber worked his roast amazingly to like salvage his career and like continue on. Of course. And Chevy Chase just can't fucking figure it out. So he goes to community and pisses everybody off. And the character in community, which I I watched a little bit of community. But his character was good. It was written yeah. well. It, yeah. was, it was perfect. And he just was such a dick that he couldn't even fucking not piss everybody off and just continue to be a member on the show, which right. was, again, a really good character on the show, which could have been written out for seasons. Yeah. yeah. It's ego and an unwillingness to change. Yeah. And just like, I earned this. This is what I am. This is who I am. So fuck everybody if you don't like it. And that's just that's a shitty attitude to have in the beginning, but also just an, just not change it at any point. Either. Right. Yeah community show creator brian Harmon, himself a reputedly sensitive and vindictive prick has been embroiled in a weirdly public feud since chase almost since the start of the show and it's not hard to see the uncomfortable parallels between chevy himself and his character pierce hawthorne an old out of touch self-aggrandizing bigot who alienates a lot of people he works with their sniping turned into a full-on confrontation over the last week of the show when Harmon, smarting from an onset spat over a late script gave a very public fuck you to Chase at a party in front of his wife and daughter and leaked a hilariously profane voicemail that Chevy had left for him. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. To be fair, Harmon's apology in a meandering Tumblr post, he said, I'm a selfish baby, a rude asshole, and not a person to trust with your feelings. In 2016, Chase again had to seek help via rehab. He arrived at the Hazelden Addiction Treatment Center in Minnesota for an alcohol-related issue. A representative for Chevy said that he was simply looking for a tune-up. Yeah. So probably dealing with some alcohol issues nearing the end of that community. Well, run. and that's like the, the infamous thing for that when you when you're like a celebrity and rich as fuck, the luxury of like 
You ever go out one night and get real fucked up and say some shit that you regret? Yeah, huh. of course. No. Yeah, yeah. I, I have never, <laughs> never done yeah. that. Never yeah. have I ever. Right. Yeah. So now the difference is when you're a celebrity, that's on you're on blast because everybody sees it and everyone's like, what an asshole. But also, you know, when you're a regular person, you have to just sort of like suck it up and apologize and be like, you know what? I got I, I just drank too much and I apologize. Celebrities usually go the I'm checking in to for rehab, rehab yeah. because yeah. I have Betty Ford Clinic. Yes, yeah. yes, and um, I mean, yeah. So that's it's it's funny. That's what he does at the end is like, yeah, oh well, I have problems and you can't trust me or whatever it is, and then oh, but I'm also going. It's not really my fault, is what he, is what they're saying, right? Yeah, I'm taking a little the plea, bit of deflection, the plea deal, yeah, yeah, deflection and all of it. Most recently, Saturday Night Live cast member Pete Davidson had some choice words for Chevy Chase when it came to Chase's comments about the sketch show. Davidson said, he's a fucking douchebag. Fuck Chevy Chase. I hate that dude. <laughs> yeah. I like Pete more and more. Yeah. The SNL actor said on Howard Stern's SiriusXM show, he's just a genuinely bad person. He's racist. I don't like him. Fuck him. He's a putz. I don't like him. The response comes on the heels of Chase's own comments about the current cast of SNL, in which he criticized the show's humor, along with its creator and executive producer, Lauren Michaels. I'm amazed that Lauren has gone so low. I had to watch a little of it, and I just couldn't fucking believe it, Chase told the Washington Post. That means a whole generation of shitheads laughing at the worst fucking humor in the world. You know what I mean? How could you dare give that generation the worst shit than they already have in their lives? It just drives me nuts. Chase was part of the original SNL cast in 1975. However, Davidson pointed out he hasn't landed many roles in recent years, and former co-workers have complained about his behavior in the past. Davidson said... What has he done since like 1983? Nothing. He had a really big career, but then it stopped because everybody realized he's a fucking jerk off. Well, he's correct about everything except for the 1983. Yeah. Because late 80s, my boy was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, there's something strange with Chevy Chase where he just literally cannot be uh, nice about anybody's work. It's always everything is shit. Like he, he literally, I think in his mind, he's like, nothing has been good at SNL since I left. Well, remember the meeting you had with Kevin Smith where he, Told Kevin Smith, I'm the creator of all funny things ever of all time, you know? Well, and as somebody that created what's known as podcast, I understand where he's coming from. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he said, uh, I'd have to say that after the first two years, it went downhill. That's just... Why am I I saying that? Because I was in it? I guess. But that's a horrible thing to say. But certainly, I've never had more fun. I really loved it and enjoy it. Yeah, you get the idea. I mean, honestly, uh, there's eras of SNL where it's like it's you know it's hit or miss, man. And it, like, dude, the the Eddie Murphy years of SNL were fucking monstrously great. Like Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, yeah. Gumby, the early '90s, which of course we grew up on, we loved. There's uh, like the Tina Fey years were oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Will Ferrell's. So man, fuck you, dude. Like, yeah. So speaking of Eddie Murphy, he said, uh, you know, when he was asked, you know, what do you think of Eddie Murphy? He was like. I thought Eddie Murphy was funny. A Gumby, you know, I found that funny and people love that. Stevie Wonder, he did well. Long pause. And then he goes, it's not that hard. For Christ's sake, your skin's the same color. You just put on some sunglasses and do this. And he shook his head back oh, and forth. Damn. That's what he said of Eddie Murphy. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah. 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 And there you go, boys. That is Chevy Chase. Mm. Ouch. Yo. God. Why? Yeah. Why? Why do you got to be that talented? Like, you're not and handsome. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Like, dude was a handsome dude. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're like, dude, young. When you see him like Caddyshack, you're like, dude, the whole world is in your palm. You're a funny dude. You got all this money. You do whatever you want. 
and you got a lovely face. Yeah. The facha. The facha. <laughs> you know, and it's not like people, like he was competing for roles in a sense. Like he got everything that he wanted. And if he hadn't been just a douchebag, mm-hmm. you know, he could have kept on going for, for forever. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, I think uh, his only friend that is uh, like a celebrity still, and there may be a couple, is uh, what's her name? That played his wife on uh, Vegas or on all the vacations. Like they're pretty close to really? each other. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it, it I mean, it's, in some sense, you're like, okay. Well, either she sucks or like maybe there is like a tiny grain of goodness in this man's heart at some point. He may be nice to some people. Yeah. 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 She may feed his ego, though. You never That's know. Like, true. Yeah. In those instances, a lot of the time, the people that those close to him just really kiss their ass and yeah. they're yes men. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And you keep on getting supported by that person. So, it yeah. No. Screw all that. All right. Let's get some final scores. All Buddy, right. what you got? So for me, you know, I... We often have different people on here that, you know, have drug problems, which it does seem like Chevy had some, um, you know, checked into rehab a couple of times. Cocaine, (laughs) fucking barbiturates, alcohol. He's just running the gamut. You know what I'm saying? I'm surprised he doesn't have gambling thrown in there. But, you know, that's in those instances, it's usually that's when we're seeing the people that we're talking about are being horrible to everybody around him. And it just seems that like he's just constantly in that mode, whether he's sober or he's he's not. He's just an asshole to everybody that he works with. And that's the name of the show, Asshole Court. So I think we picked a good person. Yeah, I was about to say he actually fits the mold of our show pretty yeah, well. We're yeah. not, it's not like, oh, murderer, pedophile. It's like, <laughs> no, you're actually an asshole. You know, so, you know, as I look over the scores of, you know, people that we've done in the past, you know, usually 7.0 is around the range that, you know, that it starts kind of murder moving over to murder people yeah. and stuff like that. But there are people that have gone above that line that didn't murder anybody. And as I'm looking at it right now, um, you know, we had Lance Armstrong at a 7.17. And I think that that's around the same ballpark. It, it seemed I see a couple parallels between Chevy and Lance. Yeah, just, good call. You know, that kind of just pompous attitude. You belittle everybody around you. You're very condescending. And, you know, the world is yours and fuck everybody else. Solid parallel. Look at the big brain on Buddy. That's hey! awesome. So, yeah. um, you know, just to keep it short and sweet, I'm going to give Chevy Chase a final asshole score of a 7.25. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Kind of high, Mikey. What you got? Man, honestly, I I think uh, Buddy just stuck the landing with the Lance Armstrong uh, reference because they, you're right. You're yeah. right. Like, peak, peak level of their game at a certain point. Also, like, an unwillingness to ever apologize or recognize that they're fucking assholes and screw people that, that are in their sort of sphere just and are ruthless you know yeah. what i mean like yeah all right man cool I, now i won't go 7.25 i'll go with a seven and uh yeah I, yeah cool yeah seven all right okay so i guess uh my thoughts on it are i'm a little more tame with it granted he was an asshole didn't treat people that well around him but like lance armstrong he duped the world for years right That's like true. he was a a cheater and, and the guy the things you guys said are absolutely true i feel like chevy duped me for my whole life like i idolized him as an actor and then to find out all this stuff from behind the scenes but he didn't pull a million vanilla and then it come out and be like oh yeah. you actually didn't act in any of these you know what i mean <laughs> well this is like also that. sort of where the all the scores come into play because now we're like grading on a curve right yeah yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, again, I didn't know a lot about the stuff before I wrote the show about really how much of an asshole he was and kind of how he treated people. But you see that a lot in Hollywood celebrities that, 
it's kind of known like they are. They're kind of an asshole. They're kind of a prick. They some of them are think they're better than others. You know what I mean? Some of them, right? Exactly. So I'm actually I'm going a little bit lower. I'm going five point seven five as okay. my final score. And right. I think all of these scores are totally valid. I think the like I said, grading on a curve with what we've done before, and the uh, you know equating him with Lance Armstrong makes sense. But I also understand the five point seven five because before Buddy made that comment, that's around the range I was in. But I was like sort of keeping in you know uh, just the idea of where we've graded other people. You know, maybe we go back and look at Lance uh, Lance Armstrong and be like, you know, maybe he's not that bad, but makes sense. He's pretty bad. Right. He's pretty shitty. And, you know, that's it kind of just, I love it when we can find assholes. Like, yeah. not just, you know, he murdered somebody, he's a bad dude, or, yeah. you know, like, but when no, we can he, laser in on assholes, dude, that makes me happy. I so. think Chevy Chase is the, like, the quintessential asshole of all the shows we've done. Like, it's just, literally, he's a dick. Yeah. A big steel dick. Like that dildo. <laughs> steely a dick. big steely damn yeah. dick. Yeah. The Iron Giant's dick. All right. With a 7.0 from Mikey, a 5.75 from Randy, and a 7.25 from Buddy, Chevy Chase's final asshole score is a 6.6. 6. Right. Same as the, the founder of the Church of Satan. <laughs> yeah. Anton LaVey and yeah. uh, Chevy Chase. If Chevy you didn't Chase. listen to this show and you just saw this infographic where our scores are at, Chevy Chase and Anton LaVey, the founder <laughs> of Church of Satan, are, are, are equals. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. All right. We hope you enjoy this episode of Asshole Court. Go check out our new badass website, ahcpodcast.com. It has links to all our shows, comments, posts from social media, and much more. And we like to always ask, go hit us up on social media and send us show ideas, comments about the episodes, and definitely spread the word to all your friends. We loved hearing from you, and you know we love those sweet, sweet five-star ratings. So until next time, stay safe and be kind to one another. This has been another awesome episode of Asshole Court. Thank you.